Hello, and welcome to everybody who's here. I'm Siri Baith, Executive Director of the Cystic Fibrosis Research Institute, also the mother of an adult daughter who lives with CF. And it is my honor to welcome you to this webinar on bringing mindfulness to our diversity, inclusion, and equity efforts. DEI work is part of CFRI's organizational fabric. The Cystic Fibrosis Research Institute embraces diversity, inclusion, justice, and equity for all of our community members. And we're committed to creating and maintaining an organizational culture that is welcoming and inclusive for all, and to address the multifaceted needs of our diverse CF community. We are holding today's webinar as a service for our community members, and I do truly thank you all for being here today. I also want to thank the sponsors of our Many Faces of CF Diversity and Inclusion program, whose support through educational grants has made this training possible. And these include Vertex Pharmaceuticals, Beatrice, Gilead Sciences, Genentech, and Chiesi USA. Please note this session is being recorded and a link to the recording will be provided in the immediate future. Also during the presentation, I believe people can see a chat box as well as a Q&A box um, to make life much easier for our presenter today. Please use the Q&A box for any questions. Um, and Alicia will try and keep time so she can respond to them. And now it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Alicia Maciel, who will lead today's webinar. Alicia is a certified executive leadership coach and mindfulness meditation teacher with an MBA from Harvard Business School and extensive experience, coach, experience coaching high potential leaders at all stages of their career. Alicia specializes in guiding participants with practical tools and techniques to grow self-awareness, emotional regulation, motivation, and social skills. She encourages participants to start at the core by taking charge of their own physical, psychological, and emotional well-being to optimize their performance and to bring out the best in others. Alicia's coaching style stems from a multicultural perspective and over 28 years of management experience with entrepreneurial, mid-size, Fortune 500, and nonprofit organizations across industries. She believes each of us is uniquely qualified to make a positive difference and to live a fulfilling life once we uncover, embrace, and nurture our authentic selves. Alicia serves on CFRI's Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Committee and its Embrace Mother's Retreat Advisory Committee. And so with that, I will turn it over to Alicia. Welcome. Oh, well, thank you, Sari. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thank you for joining me today to talk about how mindfulness can support us in our work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. As Siri mentioned, my name is Alicia Maciel, and the truth is that developing the skills to navigate DEI can be a lifelong endeavor. In our short time together, I'm going to focus on what to do with the feelings of discomfort, vulnerability, and activation that tend to surface in matters of DEI. To get the most out of our time together, I encourage you to turn off any distractions, your cell phone, other notifications, maybe minimize any open windows other than the one uh, to this webinar. And just assume a comfortable position in your seat. Let's take a moment to arrive by bringing your attention to your breath, 
and noticing it just as it is. If you'd like to, feel free to take a deep inhale, followed by a slow exhale. Feeling the weight of your body in your seat, allowing yourself to let go of any tasks or responsibilities for the remainder of our time together. For now, you've chosen to be here, so it's okay to allow yourself the freedom of feeling that you have nowhere else to be and nothing, nothing else to do other than to be present here and now for the remainder of our time together. People are often curious about how I've made my way to talking and teaching about mindfulness when I've built my career as an MBA in business and nonprofit executive leadership and now most recently as a full-time executive coach. Well, as I started to meet with leaders and organizations from all kinds of backgrounds, and this includes doctors, technical engineers, programmers, leaders in financial institutions, uh, individuals who are young in their career and new to management to middle management and senior executives, I noticed that some of the most common areas they seek coaching and support around are managing relationships with difficult team members, colleagues, direct reports, and managers, developing a leadership or executive presence, improving their communication and presentation skills, becoming more influential and garnering the support of others for their projects and ideas. Perhaps you can already relate to some of these topics, but here's one that really strikes me the most because it comes up so often, and that is overcoming imposter syndrome, which tends to show up for people as a sense of not being good enough for their role, their team, the organization they're a part of, or a sense of not belonging, not fitting in. And of course, all the fear that ensues with all of those thoughts, ideas, or perceptions. And most recently, as the topic of DEI has gained broad attention, organizations and we, the people in them, are trying to figure out how to do this work most effectively. As I've tapped into the literature around these topics, I've discovered that foundational to addressing each of them is developing emotional intelligence, also known as EQ. In other words, our understanding of what emotions are, why we have them, how we can get better at managing them, and why the well-being of humanity might depend on us doing so. According to Daniel Goleman's model of emotional intelligence, this work begins with self-awareness and emotional regulation. And my commitment to developing greater self-awareness and emotional regulation led me to getting certified as a mindfulness meditation teacher. In essence, mindfulness is a core skill of emotional intelligence. And as we explore throughout this webinar, mindfulness defined as the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something 
can be a useful practice or skill in focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's thoughts, emotions, and sensations without judgment. And as we are able and more skilled to be mindful, perhaps we can also be better at holding the thoughts, emotions, and sensations that others present us with, with minimal judgment. In other words, developing the skill of being in wise relationship with what we perceive to be happening in the present moment or what, or what others are perceiving to be happening from their experience. I'd like to share with you a bit about the context that impacts how I approach the work of DEI. I am a cisgender heterosexual woman. I am an American citizen with a lived experience of immigrating to the USA from Mexico at the age of seven. I grew up in a farm working community in Central California and I am the first in my family to graduate from college. I'm currently able-bodied and I feel fortunate and privileged to have a supportive and safe home environment in Southern California that nurtures my well-being and enables me to do the work that I do. I live with my husband and two young adult sons, one of, uh, one of whom was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at the age of six. I've been a primary caregiver for my son with CF and for my parents, who are now in their 70s, don't speak English, and require tremendous support navigating the medical system. I bring this up because I believe it is important for each of us to reflect on how the different aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion either burden or favor us depending on how we are socially located. Let's go on a mindful exploration. I invite you to bring mindful awareness to how your social location, your social context, impacts the way you approach the work of DEI. So feel free to think about and or write down a few thoughts in response to these two questions I'm going to pose. First, what is one aspect of your social location that favors you as it pertains to an aspect of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Perhaps you're able-bodied. Perhaps you possess physical traits that the dominant members of society consider to be superior. Or maybe you speak English without an accent. What comes to mind for you? Okay, question two, what is one aspect of your social location that burdens you as it pertains to the aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Perhaps your skin color is not what's considered to be favored, or you're an immigrant to this country with an accent. 
What is that for you? When it comes to DEI work, as with almost everything else in life, context matters. And there are countless factors that impact the way each one of us comes to this work. Some of these factors by our own making or effort, such as perhaps the level of education you've attained, and some of them not by our own choosing, such as our skin color. While we can develop skills such as mindfulness, the truth is that the work of DEI is laden with interactions, memories, or experiences that are bound to activate strong emotions in us. If you registered for this event by a certain date, you received a link to participate in a pre-event survey. 18 participants took the survey, and I want to share with you what surfaced by way of uh, the data we collected. The top three things respondents find most challenging about DEI work is concern that I will say the wrong thing and offend someone. So a sense of lack of safety around what I might say, right? How is that going to be received by others? Also not feeling confident that the DEI work they do will actually have a significant impact. And the third response is the emotions that DEI work activates in me and or others. So we're really touching on a very vulnerable topic. The top three things respondents would find most helpful around the topic of DEI work are learning how to better respond to judgment and criticism. Again, touching on a sense of safety around you know, this very vulnerable space, more DEI training, and being able to stay calm in challenging situations, emotional regulation. So when I saw those responses, you know, I was not at all surprised because, again, in my work and coaching, these are all very common um, ideas that surface, reactions or notions. And the top three feelings that the 18 uh, participants tend to associate with the DEI work are hope, motivation and optimism. DEI work is important territory to keep exploring because it addresses some of the most rooted and painful impasses of our time that get in the way of our most innate humane desire to feel seen, validated, accepted, loved, and included. Yet so many of us find it painful to be in the distress that DEI work often represents. It is difficult to talk about it, to be understood, and to find common ground with those we perceive as the other. While the feelings of discomfort and vulnerability are part of this work, it is important to learn how to manage these difficult emotions without letting them shut us down. If we are to keep the hope, motivation, and optimism around this work alive, we all have work to do around mindful self-awareness and emotional regulation.
And that's really what we can control and influence. We can't really change the other people, no matter how much we would want them to. We can't control that. Perhaps the best influence we have over that is by addressing our own self-awareness and emotional regulation. And that's why, you know, I chose the topic of this webinar. This work will support us in overcoming what stands in the way of our progress toward more just and inclusive communities. The mindfulness practices we will explore can grow your capacity to be with discomfort and create space for emotional activation, yours and that of others, without letting it overwhelm, frustrate, or discourage you. We all experience aspects of social location that favor or burden us. And at one time or another, we all experience some form of emotional distress in our own way. Feelings such as fear, rage, stress, anxiety. Uh, when engaging in this work are only natural. You could say this is part of our biology. We're just, it's part of being human. When we are consumed by emotional activation, it can be hard to believe that we will ever be skilled enough at regulating our reactions. Fortunately, there is solid research indicating that yes, we can. With practice, we can build internal resources that support us in moving away from harmful reactions toward a more regulated internal environment that supports us in responding through mindful choices. Viktor Frankl, a survivor of the Nazi concentration camps, is quoted to have said that between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our happiness. Stepping out of reactive autopilot and into mindful awareness allows us to capture that space between stimulus and response, where our freedom and power lie to choose our response, a wise response that can lead to better outcomes. This brings me to the work of Deb Dana outlined in her latest book that just came out. It's titled Anchored. And her book is all about how to befriend your nervous system using Stephen Porges research on polyvagal theory. The book launches with the premise that we are wired for connection. Our nervous systems are social structures that find balance and stability in relationship with others. Think about that for a moment. Our biology, our nervous system, shapes the way we navigate living, loving, working, and being. And we now, through the polyvagal theory, the understanding of our autonomic nervous system, we have the way to use this understanding in service of individual, family, community, and global well-being. And we're going to explore that in our practice coming up. 
Polyvagal theory explains the science of connection, offering a map of the nervous system to guide our exploration, as well as skills we can practice to strengthen our ability to anchor ourselves and each other in safety and regulation in the midst of challenging conversations around DEI. The autonomic nervous system brings the following actions. It can immobilize us, um, often referred to as freeze or collapse, where we just go through the motions. Perhaps we feel drained of energy, disconnected. Maybe we have a tendency to not stay optimistic and lose hope. Maybe even the thought of giving up crosses our mind. You know, that's usually where we go when we start to feel a sense of burnout. Perhaps some of us have experienced that state. It can also activate actions of fight or flight where we're filled with chaotic energy, mobilized to attack, driven to escape, maybe feeling very anxious and angry. And it can also bring us to actions of regulating, a sense of safety, connection, where we can meet the demands of the day, connect and communicate, stay resilient in the midst of uh, adversity, difficult discussions, being able to stay with the flow and engage with life. Which of those three states would you say you're in right now, if we just tune in, tune in to how you're feeling. Would you say you're immobilized, maybe feeling a bit collapsed and burnt out? Activated, ready to fight or flee? Plenty of chaotic energy? Or do you feel somewhat safe and regulated, pretty centered? And here's the great news about our nervous system. It has an inherent longing to be in a regulated state and an embodied wisdom on how to get there. We don't have to figure much out as much as slow down and tune in to what our body already knows and wants to do. The pathway back to connection from fight, flight, or collapse is there in each of us. And it may be obscured or not well-traveled due to our personal experiences, maybe the hurried lifestyle, you know, this fast-paced society that's always connected. But our biology knows the way. And through our mindfulness practices, we can find our way home. At times, the sum of the differences we deal with on a regular basis can feel insurmountable. Those are the times when we wonder whether we even make a difference, whether it's worth it. And the good news is that our nervous system evolved over millions of years, and it's based on a universal design that is a common denominator across human experience, no matter what our background might be, social status, any of those social standings. 
And so that's where we can find common ground. As you start to get to know your own nervous system and how to regulate it, how to be in a regulated state, you're also learning how to facilitate that state in others because we're all wired that way. And so that is a common experience, common skill set that is transferable to our way of interacting with other human beings. We are skilled not only of regulating ourselves, but we're also becoming skilled at helping others come to a state of regulation. Our nervous system works in predictable ways, and this is shared a shared experience, as I mentioned. Um, it brings us together. Looking through the lens of the nervous system, we can understand, and we are all trying to anchor in the state of safety and support and connection to self. So as we're engaging in difficult DEI conversations and we notice that other people are showing up in pretty activated states, it's okay to remember that, oh, this person, just like me at times, is only searching for safety and seeking to feel understood, seen, connected. As we learn the art of befriending our nervous system, we learn to become active operators of this essential tool that we have within us. So let's prepare ourselves for an exploration that will give us a sense of how to begin to befriend our nervous system. This exploration is on learning to listen. Listening is an essential part of befriending your nervous system. And in the beginning, it can feel very odd to tune in and listen. Often when I talk to, you know, the, my coaching clients, I'll invite them to tune into their body and notice what's present. That usually draws some pretty blank stares or what do you mean, Alicia? Because oftentimes we're so in our head thinking logically, analyzing, conceptualizing. And sometimes the invitation is mm, to become a more skillful leader. I'm going to invite you to tune into the body. And that can feel a bit foreign. That's okay, because that's not usually a common place that we're invited to inhabit. So this might bring us into new territory. Huh. So with the act of listening and attending to what is happening in our bodies, we gain some management over our system and more regulation of our lives. When we learn to listen, we create the ability to reflect and not simply react. As we learn to partner with our nervous system, we begin to explore well, well-being. And befriending our nervous system is inextricably linked with the need for self-compassion. States of dysregulation automatically activate self-criticism and a negativity bias. It's only natural that we think, oh my goodness, everything's going to fall apart or the worst thing that we can think of could happen. So when we move out of safety and connection into a state of protection, we lose the capacity for self-compassion and perspective taking. So those are some of the things that we're kind of going to look out for in our practice. With the ability to recognize 
a moment of distress and notice the reaction of our nervous system, we move into a moment of awareness instead of simply being swept deeper into dysregulation and going down that rabbit hole where it almost feels like a snowball. You know, we start to feel anxious, then the thoughts come, we start to create stories around what else could happen, and it, it truly can snowball. And so here the key is to catch that moment that Viktor Frankl talked about, where we can shift and redirect toward a more constructive path. Kristen Neff and Chris Germer have developed a lovely, simple compassion practice to use when we feel a moment of distress. And I'm gonna integrate that into our practice. So let's try this. Again, this is designed to listen to our bodies and tune in through self-compassion. So I'll just invite you to, again, relax in your seat, make yourself comfortable. You can keep your eyes open, bring them to a soft gaze if you'd like, or you can close them, whatever feels most comfortable for you. Again, bringing your awareness to the breath. And bringing up a moment when you felt distressed. Perhaps around DEI, you know, those feelings of, gosh, am I going to be criticized? Is it safe? Maybe you had a recent interaction or one that surfaces quite a bit that brings distress to your nervous system. What feelings surface for you as you acknowledge and allow what is? We're going to enter into curious investigation and just explore with kind curiosity what happens there. Did your nervous system go into fight, light, or collapse, maybe? It's okay to acknowledge that this might be a moment of suffering. How difficult this might be. Phrase I often tell myself is my nervous system is in survival response. And I have entered a state of dysregulation. This is not who I am. This is simply how my nervous system is reacting in this moment. It's my biology wanting to send a message. Find the words or phrases that work for you.
perhaps with a sense of gratitude toward our nervous system, which is so loyal and committed to keeping us connected and protected and safe. Notice where in your body you are most experiencing the work of your autonomic nervous system to keep you safe. Is it a particular part of your body? For many people, oftentimes, they share that it's a tension around the shoulders or this nauseous feeling at the pit of the stomach, maybe tension around the chest. What is it for you? What are you noticing in your body? There's no need to make meaning of any of this. We're just noticing and allowing, tuning in, listening, paying a visit to our bodies, to our nervous system. Acknowledging that suffering and distress is part of life. And moments of protection happen for everyone. They're a shared universal experience. What words convey that for you? And this is the part where we have an opportunity to nurture that part of us that is feeling dysregulated by offering a nurturing phrase or gesture, such as, may I be kind to myself? Or perhaps there's something else that that part of you is asking you to provide. If it feels good for you, maybe placing your palm in the heart area as you offer loving thoughts or loving words. Sometimes bringing a kind, gentle smile to your face can make a difference. Noticing if there's a shift in the nervous system, 
as you're tuning in, listening, and providing it with some nurturing resources. Yes, by noticing a moment or micro moments of autonomic dysregulation and bringing some self-compassion to it, we enter a process of listening where we develop greater self-awareness and begin to provide that practice, the self-emotional regulation. I invite you to just reflect for a moment on how this exercise was for you. And feel free to feel free to write down anything that surfaced for you or just sit with your experience. Oftentimes, people who are new to the practice of mindfulness report that this can be difficult for them, that they're not exactly sure what I meant by an invitation to tune in or to really sense in the body what was surfacing because they couldn't sense anything. Again, there's no right or wrong. Just the practice of trying an exercise like this is the work. That's it. You did it right. You tried. And the more we practice, there tends to be a powerful pull to continue to see where the listening will lead. It's almost like you start to create openings, openings where the self-awareness just keeps surfacing. Autonomic listening leads to an invitation to be creative in finding shaping practices that are just right for your nervous system. And this work that we're engaging in right now of tuning in and listening to our nervous system, befriending it, really is a process of self-discovery. Because all the best that I can do as a meditation teacher is to guide and suggest, but really the process and your own experience, it's what's going to fine tune and truly design what it is that works for you and your nervous system. You get to decide that. You get to experience that. There's no way I could possibly know what's right for you. Engaging in moments of befriending and learning to listen change the way we see our own experiences and the way we see the world. 
you know, as we are investigating with curiosity what's going on in our nervous system, we can also investigate, hmm, what am I believing right now? Or what do these sensations trigger in terms of stories and narrative that I create? And the more we become aware of what those stories are, the more we have the ability to examine whether they're serving us, whether they're applicable um, or in our best interest. Oftentimes, you might find that they're no longer in your best interest. They're outdated. Perhaps they served well at one point in your life. But at this stage, maybe there's a new one that can surface that can be more empowering and constructive for what it is that we're trying to achieve, particularly around the work of DEI, where old patterns, old systems, old approaches are not working. So it's time to reinvent and come up with new ones. And of course, that takes tremendous courage. It takes a starting by being the change we want to see in the world. Hence the work of mindfulness, self-awareness and emotional regulation. The challenge is to learn to tune in and turn toward your nervous system, bring curiosity and compassion to the experience and stay out of judgment and self-criticism as you explore where your autonomic nervous system takes you. And in wrapping up, as I prepare to just take a look at maybe some of the questions that have come in the chat or, or you will place, not in the chat, but in the Q&A box, I'll just you know close by saying that curiosity propels us out of the autopilot and the judging mind and opens the field for new discovery and learning. The next time you find yourself not liking what's going on in the present moment, consider becoming curious about it and let the question, what is this? Really take you into that pause and step into your power to change the experience that follows by really being curious, tuning in, tending to the nervous system to bring it back to regulation and maybe reframing the old stories. To drop in and be fully embodied in the present moment can be difficult at first, but I encourage you to develop a regular practice that can help you develop and grow that muscle to stay. And the more you do these types of practices, the more you're training your nervous system to stay in regulated state or come back to regulation quicker than perhaps in, in the past. Drop into being and allow things to be held in awareness. That's the discipline. Life itself becomes the teacher and it is full of wonderful surprises when you allow your world to unfold in this way. Life tends to be the curriculum and the, it'll present us daily with invitations to tune in and tend to and reframe. It is an invaluable gift that you can give to yourself and to the world 
It is like the purification process that allows us to be in a healthy relationship with all that arises, particularly that we cannot control. Okay. All right, so I'm gonna invite you to pop in any questions you might have into the Q&A. This may seem like um, I'm asking for a cheat sheet, <laughs> but I am curious for people as they go back, you know, into their workplaces, into clinic, into their interactions with the world, the a, a rapid summation of when they feel this discomfort mm -hmm. in relation to, you know, I thought that was fascinating that the vast majority of people noted the high, the most common fear was saying the wrong thing which yes. indicates people's desire to do the work, to do the practice, to be present, to be mindful. Um, and yet there's the fear that comes in because of yes. that activity. So yes. they're just a quick uh, like cheat sheet of steps. When somebody finds themselves in that situation, how to regroup. Mm. Forward. Yeah. Thank you for surfacing that Siri, because you know, that can be helpful. So um the first thing is to allow yourself to recognize what's present in the moment. So bring mindfulness to that and not continue an autopilot where we're just kind of walking like zombies through earth at the surface, but not really experiencing anything. We're just moving through motions. And so here we want to interrupt that by bringing mindful awareness to, oh, right now, you know, as I am wanting to express something to this individual, I'm noticing how hesitant I am because I'm afraid that I might say the wrong thing. Okay. So tending to that, and the, the first step we went through is recognizing. The other step was A, for allowing and acknowledging. We don't need to shame ourselves. We don't need to blame ourselves. We don't need to should ourselves. Like, I shouldn't be feeling this. No, no. It's okay to allow because if that's what's surfacing, then it belongs. Again, it's just our autonomic nervous system being fully committed to protecting us. That's how we've survived for millions of years. And then moving on to the I, right? Of RAIN here, the acronym that I'm working through is investigate with loving curiosity and tuning in as we did, and then doing the nurturing part. Okay, in this moment, how might I shift the story I'm telling myself around this? Like this person is not going to understand. They're going to, you know, react or judge me or what have you. And so maybe coming back to a regulated state where perhaps you can then be more thoughtful about how you want to approach the subject with this person. And sometimes it's okay to start out with, I don't even know how to bring this up. My intentions are to you know, engage in a caring conversation that can help us maybe cultivate a more trusting relationship. It's okay for us to express how vulnerable we feel and perhaps how not well-resourced we feel to approach this, but yet my relationship is important to me, your relationship, us, and so therefore I'm being courageous to talk about this. I mean, it's okay to take risks and start out by saying, I'm, I'm not even sure how to address this because I'm afraid it might come out the wrong way. 
Maybe that's sometimes where we need to begin. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the questions that are coming in. So let me read this one here. Yes. So how may we implement these skills or tools for patients and families? All right. So in our practice today, we explored how we can do it with our own nervous system, right? So if we find that um, as we're preparing to go in and meet with our patient and, and families, just tuning in and sensing how are we feeling about the interaction that we're about to embark in? You know, how is my nervous system? Is it feeling regulated or dysregulated? Because that's going to impact the way we show up into our session with the patients, the families. Um, if so, if you're feeling dysregulated, you might want to take some time to calm down, calm the nervous system down and bring a more peaceful presence into the interaction. If you anticipate that perhaps from past experiences, you know, this might be a difficult interaction, you might want to start to resource your nervous system and prepare it by telling it it's okay. It's going to be okay. Sometimes it's challenging to interact with this particular person or family, but it's okay. Take a deep breath, come in there with openness and willingness, maybe with that perception that however they are showing up, it's coming from their nervous system, just wanting to feel safe, connected, reassured, accepted. It's just another nervous system. And remember, that's where we have common ground. That's where we can really understand one another because we're identical at the nervous system level. And so practicing perhaps some of those four steps with the other person who might be appearing activated, right? So it's like, oh, what's happening for you? How are you right now? How are you feeling right now? It's okay to recognize and acknowledge. Oh, okay, okay. And how is this showing up for you? All right. So we might walk them through the four steps and just help them feel seen, heard, validated, and maybe even go on to the next step and say, how can I best support you? How can I provide nurturing reassurance to your nervous system? Basically, that's what we're saying. And so as we learn to practice these four steps with ourselves, then we can become more skilled at also facilitating the four steps with others that appear dysregulated to help bring them back to regulation. I hope that helps. Mm -hmm. Let's see another question. Yeah, so the book that I referenced quite a bit for this um, webinar is Anchored by um, Deb uh, Dana, D-E-B and Dana, D-A-N-A. And again, she works extensively with Stephen Porges, who is a researcher and really developed the polyvagal theory real clear understanding of how our autonomic nervous system uh, functions and how it triggers these different states where we're either feeling safe 
or we're, we've got chaotic energy that is gearing us up for to fight or flee or collapse where we might freeze uh, and just give up. So I highly recommend that book. Um, it's really going to go into a, a lot of detail about the nervous system and how we're how we're wired, how we're activated, and and how we can befriend our nervous system and really develop the skills and and the muscle memory to not be as reactive over time. And there's also another work um, that I would uh, recommend, and that is um, Mindful of Race by Ruth King. And she is also uh, very much uh, takes a mindful approach to working with the distress that arises around uh, talking about race. And so her work is also excellent. Great questions. Let's see, we probably have time for one more. Alicia, would it be possible to have the just a handout on the rain? Absolutely. And the steps that we could share to people who have registered? Yes. What I will do is create a handout and also just list the resources that I've named and maybe a few others that people can come back to and reference. And, and uh, yes, I'll include the steps of rain. As I mentioned, you know, this work of um, developing a more mindful uh, presence and, and being able to train our nervous system to respond instead of react. It truly is, you know, in-depth work that, that can take years, if not a lifetime. And so what we did here is we just touched very briefly on some concepts, ideas, and practices, but there's so much more. And, you know, I invite others to also, um, let us know if they would be interested in maybe developing um, a group discussion where we can open up for more discussion on this topic and, and maybe um, explore and share each other's insights. Mm -hmm. So after this, we will send out a little survey to people to know if okay. they would like to have a um, a Zoom room so we can all see one another and have a discussion. It would not be recorded so that people can just feel comfortable sharing and asking questions. Um, so please keep your eyes open for an email from CFRI about that. Um, but in the meantime, Alicia, I thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your expertise, uh, your time with all of us. This is a process for all of us. We're all committed and it is yeah. just wonderful to have you helping provide resources to us as we move forward. So I thank you so much. And on behalf of CFRI, I thank everybody who is here today. And we look forward to the next discussion. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity.